I saw the pilot. I saw the first two hours. And uh, what do you think? I I love it. I mean, you know, the the from the beginning when we were auditioning for the role and, and screen testing for it, I really loved the script for the first three hours. So it's it's kind of. I can't wait to see the one after the first yeah. three hours. I'm sure it'll be as good, just because I've lived with Airs Part 1, 2, and 3 since the day that I was up for the role. Yeah. Um, so I knew, we all knew it was brilliant. We all knew it had so much potential, and it's nice to see it come to fruition. I'm excited. You've been a Stargate fan since before you ever got involved with this. So this is a Stargate fan talking to a Stargate fan here. When did you first find out about the show? Did you see the movie in 1994? Uh, oh, of course. Oh, absolutely, okay. of course. Um, you know, you know, I, I always, I always clarify, and it's not because I have anything wrong with being labeled a fan, but I just don't want to offend any of the fans. Um, as in, I've seen it all, and I love it, but I'm nowhere near as obsessively, awesomely loyal as most of the fans are. Um, so <laughs> I always have to kind of bow down and give respect where respect is due to the true quote unquote fans. Um, but I do love the show. Uh, <laughs> I watched the I watched the original movie. I uh, you know SG One honestly premiered on uh, Showtime at the time, and I don't think that I had it. Yeah. And uh, once once it moved, uh, I started watching it and uh, caught up on, on the originals. And it became one of those shows that when I came home from school and, like, I was working late on my homework or something it, or came home from work, it would always be on. Yeah. So I would always watch, like, the, the repeats. And in doing so, ended up catching up on all of SG-1. Um, and then with Atlantis... Uh, because I had seen all of SG-1, I wanted to see the premiere, you know. So, of course, I, I taped, VHS taped the premiere of Atlanta because yes. I didn't have a DVR at the time because it was, it was way before my, my expense account could allow that. <laughs> and, um, you know, just really, really loved the characters, wanted to see where they were going, and that ended up taking me on through. I mean, uh, you know, roommates and whatever would would usually come home and it'd be like one in the morning and I'd be sitting with a glass of wine and I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I have to catch up on Atlantis because I would have like two episodes <laughs> that I hadn't watched yet because I'd been busy or, or working or bartending at the time. Oh, okay. So it just kind of became this thing that always was like my late night routine, like catching up when I could. And, uh, you know, and then oddly my life seems to circle it, having worked with Claudia Black on Moonlight and became friends with her and, you know, having seen people who were involved in the show and other things, even Chris Judge, I think, came in to eat at a restaurant that I was working at, waiting tables in L.A., um, like like three years ago or something. And I just remember thinking, oh, God, it's Teal, and he's huge. Uh, Did you let him know it, that you recognized him? Oh, God, no, no. He was way, he's too intimidating. I mean, <laughs> I've met him now since, and he's, you know, now I know how nice and cool he is, but at the time he was, like, sitting at dinner with one other person privately, and I, I'm very anti bothering people who you respect when they're out to eat. I mean, it's one thing when they're at a premiere. I don't like bothering people when they're, like, eating with their family or having a drink or something because mm. I feel like it's intrusive. And plus, he's gigantic. Yes, <laughs> most definitely. He's, he has muscles that I'm pretty sure that my body has not evolved to have. <laughs> um, but, no, you know, I've, I've, I've always really enjoyed it, uh, and so much so that when I was in New York shooting Ugly Betty, um, and the audition came up for it, uh, and there were spec sides at the time. Um, you know, they weren't from the actual script. They were written because they were just wanted to put the feelers out. Uh, it was a scene with uh, Carter, I believe. It was between Eli and Carter. Mm. And, you know, I sat down with a friend of mine. I was like, can you read this with me? And he's like, wait, who am I? And I explained everything. And he's like, wow, did you see that on the breakdown? I'm like, no, I just I know that. 
<laughs> Very cool. You and I talked about Battlestar at, uh, at yeah. uh, Comic-Con as one of the shows that uh, you and I both like, but what are some of the other sci-fi shows that you've gotten into over the years? I mean, you, mm. you say that you've watched a lot. What, what stick out in your mind? I'm a huge fan of, of stories as a, as a writer, as an actor, just as a very curious person. So I end up seeing almost every show or movie anyway at some point. I don't yeah. know how I find the time. Yeah. Um, so there's not a lot of shows in general that I haven't watched at least a few episodes of, if not the whole thing. Uh, now, if we're talking favorites, uh, nowadays I, I'm very much into Fringe, into Lost. Um, I want to watch Supernatural, but it keeps conflicting with things on my DVR. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, loved Battlestar. Uh, I watched one season of Torchwood and really enjoyed it. Um, you know, Star Trek Next Generation was a huge forming yes. show of my childhood. Yes. Um, I mean, like, I, 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 it's it's hard for me because I just love to watch so much. I mean, I've seen a, I've seen a lot of Doctor Who, the recent ones when they've been on, but not enough to really catch up. Um, God, name a show, and I'll tell you if it's one of the ones I didn't like. It might take less time. <laughs> Full circle working with Peter DeLuise, because one of my first crushes was one of his castmates on, on uh, Sequest. Ah, uh, uh, DSV. It was the first picture I ever put up inside of my locker. So how much are you like Eli? Uh, more than I like to admit. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of differences between the two of us, for sure. Uh, everyone likes to tease me because they know it gets under my skin here on set. Like, just, I think... An hour ago, somebody was like, we trust you to do this because you are Eli. Uh, <laughs> it's unfortunate that Eli is a huge fan of TV and movies, because I think that's a huge similarity between us. Um, I try to find humor in situations. I'm a little bit less confident in my humor than Eli is, where he just kind of, he knows something is funny, so he'll just say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Whereas I tend to, uh, only if I'm comfortable with the people, say it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a little bit more uh, socially adept than a than, than he is, I can speak to people better and form relationships a little bit better than mm-hmm. he can. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's definitely a lot of great things to draw from for myself, but mm-hmm. uh, it, it's different enough where I, I do like that I can go home and feel like I'm in my own skin and not in Eli's. <laughs> yes, you kind of you can you tend to take parts of your roles home with you, which is why it's always good when you're playing a fun role, like on on Ugly Betty. You know, Cliff was so positive that <laughs> I kind of felt that influence in my life that like I was always more upbeat in my everyday life and I find that the more that I, I'm shooting SGU the more I kind of say witty remarks here and there and make random movie quotes Leonard Nimoy always talked about you know playing Spock he had this um, it was so emotionless and, you know he's a method actor so trying to get out of that was very difficult for him so starting from starting and ending your your job in a place that isn't too far removed from you has got to be helpful I, I've studied method Meisner viewpoints and all that I wouldn't say that I'm like a method actor but I just think that parts of it bleed over. I think I remember Lucy Lawless saying this in an interview about Xena. Um, like, it just, it's this odd thing that carries over. Um, you know, like, Eli tends to have a little bit of problems with confidence in his own abilities, and unfortunately I feel that that sometimes blends over into my life, too, um, which is why I wish we could hurry up and air. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's bound to happen when you, when you live inside of a character for hours, more hours than you're awake in a day then it tends to uh, affect your life. Um, but, you know, Eli's a very curious person, and that's kind of who I've been, too. Like, I I've, I've, I find it interesting, so I've studied books on quantum physics. I've yeah. studied anything I can get my hands on. I love knowledge. So we kind of have that in common, whereas his is a little bit more focused onto the technology, mathematics, computers, astrophysics side of things. 
mine's kind of the, world. The, the breakdown describes him as a slacker. Is that true, or is that outdated? No, I definitely, you know, I think the way it was described to me even at the beginning and the way that I kind of uh, latch onto it and agree with it, this is the way that I took it, and, and no one's corrected me, so I'm going to pretend like this is true. Okay. <laughs> um, he's a slacker in that he's afraid of failure. He's a slacker in that he has a lot of ability, he has a lot of potential, but at the end of the day, somebody else can do it, and if they screw up, they'll get blamed. Um, uh... Where, you know, it's the same thing with MIT, you know, like Eli, Eli went to school and dropped out. And I don't think it was because he had bad grades or that he was antisocial, for that matter. I think it was he kind of just lost interest. He wasn't challenged. He started kind of, you know, not wanting to be tested and find out that he wasn't able to, which is why this situation is even better with what happens on the Destiny, because he can't back off anymore. If he, if he decides he doesn't feel like committing to something, then people, including himself, won't be alive anymore. Mm-hmm. And... um it's a nice, it's a nice confrontation to a deep part of his character. Um, you know, anybody who drops out of school and chooses to live at home with their mother and play video games and yes. you know, and hang out with friends and eat and all that can be described as a slacker these days. But I think it's just non-motivation, if that's a word. You know, I, that's one of the questions that I was going to ask you because. Uh... The, the pilot doesn't necessarily explain why he left MIT. I mean, you just said he dropped out, but I was wondering if it had to do with expenses. You know, I mean, he his mother is struggling with, with medical bills, uh, and I'm, I was wondering if he dropped out to help her. Absolutely, and also, I think, not even just financially, also because of care, you know. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when you have a, a single mother um, who you know, who you've kind of relied on for a while. And mm-hmm. not to say that he's a mom, he's a mommy's boy, which I really don't think he is, but I think he feels a certain amount of responsibility, mm-hmm. um, whether or not they always get along. Um, and I think that it, it came time to take care of that. To And also, you know, she was working hard and he could save her some money. And even more than that, you know, he could kill two birds with one stone. He could sit around and do the things he wants to do without any pressure to yeah. live up to anyone's expectations at the same yeah. time that he could also, you know, watch the house. Yes. <laughs> well played, you know, Prometheus. He could guard the bed as long as possible. <laughs> if these are part of, of uh, future plot points and be revealed in later on in the show, stop me. Uh, but do we discover what she has, what, what it is that is her illness? And Yes, you, you, you will find that out okay. later on. And do we find out where his dad is in all this? Um, we may find that out this season, um, okay. and if if we don't find that out this season, I hopefully it'll it'll delve a little further next season. Um, okay. You know the wonderful the wonderful huge vast minds of Brad and Robert. Yes. Uh, I dare not try to categorize. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, we just got a script yesterday, and and it, to me they're like they're you know to, if you'll excuse the 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 metaphor they're like crack you know like I, as soon mm-hmm. as i get a script i can't wait to find even if we're shooting a scene i want to find five minutes to go and start reading it so mm-hmm. i look forward to um in in all of our cases finding out more about you know eli's past and friendships that he had and we do touch on it in, in, in some of the, the the first few episodes which is great and you know even even with the other characters you know scott's motivation what forced him to join the military Greer, mm-hmm. same exact thing how he became the person he is and mm-hmm. what exactly made rush rush instead of <laughs> daniel jackson you know yes. why did rush not become daniel jackson you know i i got to tell you when i first heard of this character uh namely yours uh i pictured rodney mckay in my head 
And oh, I can't. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not going to hold it against you. So, <laughs> well, I mean, have you found yourself carrying a large portion of the techno babble this year? Have you? Is there not as much techno babble as there was on other shows? Is it more evenly dispersed? I mean, have you lost your voice yet, like David Healy did? <laughs> uh, uh, actually, I have a couple times, but not for that reason. Um, well, first of all, let me let me say that I agree with you. The first time I looked, I read the breakdown. That's my first thought as well. But that kind of, I think, you know, in some things that have happened recently mm-hmm. as well as in the past, that's the danger of a breakdown. It's because yes. it's not always written by the producers yes. or the writers um, or sometimes not even by the casting people. Um, so, you know, that's just what was guided to bring people in and have them know who to call in. And then once you're there, you find out it's a lot more than that, and they kind of nudge you in the right way. Um, I found that a lot of stuff from the original breakdown, you know, has kind of fall into the back as, as other more important things have come forward. Um, so there is, uh, loving David Hewlett and loving Michael Shanks, <laughs> there was a really important part of me to make sure that nobody thought that I was either Daniel Jackson or McKay, because, I mean, no one wants to see the same character. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nobody wants Rush to be Baltar. Yes. Oh, don't get me started. Yeah, no one wants Scott to be Flanagan. You know, it's like yeah. it's it's the, the, there are different people in the world, and even if they're in the same rank, even if they're in the same side of things. Um, so it was very important to me to make this different from those characters, and even more so to make it different from any character I've played before, like Logan on Moonlight, who yes. just happened to be a hacker as well, or yes. whatever. So that's you know, I think that's what kind of makes Eli interesting is that he's his own person. Now, the techno babble, I do have to bow my hat because. Um, yes, I would say most of the techno babble is shared, uh, especially in the beginning between uh, Robert Carlyle, myself, um, maybe Peter Kalamis who plays Brody, and um, Patrick Gilmore who plays Volker. Um, and uh, screw that, even Jen Spence who plays Park. <laughs> um, we uh, we tend to to pass it around a lot, um, but. I don't know how I have lucked out, but somehow a good portion of the season. I don't know if they're torturing him or what, but Robert Carlyle ends up having to say the worst stuff. Like, I get to say little things here and there about buttons and equations and, and you know, consoles, and he's saying things like orbital insertion trajectory, and I don't even understand how he does it sometimes. With the Scottish accent. Yeah, exactly. Well, I think maybe that helps, because he can say it quickly in that accent, and no one will know he didn't actually say the line. Um, I say, you know, there's a definitely a good amount, but... Uh, I think it helps being the nerd that I am, having studied some of these things, that mm-hmm. a lot of times what I'm saying actually makes sense to me. It's easier to learn the line when it makes sense to you. I will be perfectly honest with you. I um, I was waiting to see who I was going to endear myself to in terms of the cast first, who I was going to root with before the end of the first two hours. And it mm-hmm. was and it was Eli. And maybe that, oh, thank it you. was large, largely it was um, the Kino because mm-hmm. he's looking at me he's like sharing sarcastic asides with me and you know it's it's really a doorway this what's so brilliant about the keynote it's a doorway into that ship that is a doorway into my living room exactly i mean that's that's uh, not even just with the keynote but with the camera itself and yes. you know as much flack as people might have given before they ever seen the show about the shooting style i think if nothing else it allows the audience to actually be there with us instead of just feeling like they're watching a prepackaged sitcom, they're actually in the room with us, peering around the corner, listening to someone talk about the gate, or especially in the case of the Kino, asking a question of somebody. They're acknowledging us. Yeah, you know, it's great. And uh, 
as an actor, it's a great device because it allows me to break that fourth wall and kind of really connect with the audience. You know, that Brad and Robert said from the beginning that Eli and Chloe specifically kind of touch the hearts of the audience and kind of help represent them, especially Eli. And I feel like the Kino definitely gives a device that allows that to happen, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it almost, actually, not, not like a leash, but it almost lets me show you the window into the ship, yes. you know? Yes. And I think it's awesome. It's a great device that I hope we keep up for a while. Has it been irritating interacting with a softball that isn't there? Uh, no. <laughs> I find it awesome. I love doing it. I mean, I'm such a an OCD technical person <laughs> that, as you'll, as you'll know, when you really pay attention to the show and realize that the buttons I'm hitting stay the buttons I'm hitting for that at every point in the show. If I'm hitting something for communication, <laughs> that is my communications button from episode one until episode 20. Um, so I, I love the vis effects. I love interacting with green screens. I, you know, I always am terrified that as I said before, I ever watched the trailer, even, at Comic-Con, we imagined what this hollow screen in front of us was going to look like. And yeah. once I saw it, I was like, holy crap, that's a million times better than I ever thought it was going to yeah. be. I would have acted better if I had yeah. realized how awesome it was. <laughs> I felt like I was a crappy actor, and I feel like it overshadowed me. It was so good. <laughs> um, I love it. I, I, I really do enjoy it. It's nice to create create things you know like when you're looking at a blank square of air and you have to imagine a galaxy yeah. zooming in yeah. and out and that's that's so much fun that's a that's a sandbox to me you know well, it's and it's a testament to the visual effects team i didn't know that 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 that, that was an effect i thought that that was done practically so oh good lord that would have been great mind-blowing <laughs> that's 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 mind-blowing to me that, that and was, you ain't that seen nothing yet I know. Some of the, oh man, some of the stuff they have planned. Don't tell uh, me. <laughs> no, no, I know. Trust me, I'm 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 paranoid to the point of being boring of not revealing things. I, um, I hate spoilers. How do you feel about spoilers? I I, mean, I despise them. You you've always I despise despised them. them. Okay. Um, if you if you pay attention to my Twitter, um, okay. I try to retweet almost anything anyone says. I, I I just talk about life in general, but when it's involved with the show, I'll retweet anybody's review or anybody's opinion, good or bad. But the truth is, if they reveal any kind of spoiler, and I'm not talking about a specific about who lives or who dies, but if they say, I love this scene, and when you say that line, I'm not going to retweet it. I'm not going to call attention to it, because in my opinion, you just ruined the meaning of the line, because now they're expecting it. Yeah. I, as a fan, first of all, I've had so many things ruined for me. Yeah. My, my, you know, I love my brothers, but first time watching Planet of the Apes, oh, never seen man. it before. My brother walks in the first 10 minutes of the movies and says, hey, is this? My dad goes, shh, he's never seen it. My brother goes, no, 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 I was just going to ask if this was the one with the Statue of Liberty. And ever since then, people seem to go out of their way to ruin things. So I'm, I'm that person who, when you start talking about a movie I want to see, will put my, ears, my fingers on my ears and leave the yeah, room. Yeah, exactly. So I, mean, I don't the, want people doing that for my shows, you know? Dumbledore and, you know, all, I mean, it's just like, people are so cruel. <laughs> but even, I mean, I understand that some people especially with shows nowadays when you get so invested, love to seek out information. Yeah. That's fine. I don't understand it. I mean, I, I just feel like you're ruining it for yourself. I feel like there's something to be said for shock value. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, if I, if I had my way, I or no one would have ever seen it until we air, but I don't know, that's unrealistic in the way the climate of the industry works. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I just feel like the fans should see it with fresh eyes and not, you know, I mean, watch it 20 times after you see it for the first time, please keep going back and watch it over oh, and over. I'm and having over. to. There's so much subtly in there, you know, that, that yeah, I, you're that I missed. 
um, which is a testament to what they're doing now. I mean, a lot of a lot of the the other Stargates come before. You know, you could watch it a couple of times and get everything, but man, it's like it's like you have to rake it every time you go back over it because there's so much there. It's absurd. Although I do have to say, as what you're saying about the original ones, working with this crew and this cast, it is kind of fun to go back and watch the originals because I keep getting little golden nuggets like uh, Ivan Bartok. Yes. Um, He's uh, you know, our special features producer, and he's on set all the time. Please feel free to tease him how I was sitting at home last week uh, re-watching the Stargate SG-1 DVDs and came upon him with his two lines. Yes. Excuse me, ma'am. Did you mean ten dimensions? <laughs> yes. Well, first of all, I half expected Eli to be sitting in that classroom. Um, <laughs> I was like, I don't remember shooting this, but I think I'm there. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it was great to see that, and it was great to see, you know, even to go back to the first season and see like Andy Nikita, you know, first AD and yes. to think that he directed our pilot and yes. John Lennox. And it, it's, it's kind of cool to go back and, and mine those nuggets. Mm -hmm. You know, the thing that really, that really surprised me about the end of this first two hour is mm -hmm. Eli, uh, is the first to volunteer to go to this barren desert planet that he's seen on the remote in the, in the gate room. Mm -hmm. He's looking at this, this screen and he says, I'll go, I'll go. That is so not the slacker that he was at the beginning. Well, you know, I, this, is, this goes a little bit deeper into the character development that I kind of mind myself, not to use that again. Um, as I said, he's a slacker, I think, because of this fear, because of this ex expectation that he's not going to succeed in life. Um, and I feel like the truth is the reason he's been good at what he's done, the reason that, you know, he plays this video game in the beginning of the show is because he has this desire to, even though he doesn't want to fail, he kind of has a desire to be the best at things. Mm -hmm. He wants to be the best. He wants to be acknowledged for being the best, but it's that fear of what would happen if he's not that keeps him from doing it. So if you really boil that down, that's like a curiosity. And then mm -hmm. once you're thrust into a situation like this, once you're you're here. You don't have a choice anymore. You can't mm -hmm. just go, ah, I want my ball back. I want to go home. You know, <laughs> once you're actually there, why would you let these opportunities and these experiences pass you by? And like, when you see a gate for the first time, you telling me you wouldn't, I mean, as a fan or as you like, go up and touch it and mm -hmm. want to see it work. And, you know, it's so easy to go, okay, that looks expensive. I'm going to, I'm going to go away. Somebody else turn it on. But if it's something that you've always dreamed existed and always wanted to exist but never dared hope it would, yeah. when you see it in front of you, you're going to want to be a part of it as much as possible to say you were there. Yeah, you know? like like he says in the first hour, you know, this is everything that I dreamed of, Mob. Don't feel bad. I'm doing yeah. this for me as much as I'm doing this for you. Exactly. I mean, you know, I, I have many friends who like many different kinds of things, but I have, I have many good friends who are huge Stargate fans. Yeah. Um, and one of the first questions that, my friend Brian came up to me and just said, "David, what color are the chevrons on your show?" And yes. I, it just hit me that I'm like, I'm like, oh god, dude, I'm playing you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm playing you, who who literally, when they go to a planet for the first time, wouldn't go, okay, so cool, we're on another planet. What's our mission? You go and you sit there and you go, oh my god, this is a different planet. I wonder if anyone's ever been here before. Mm. This is sand from another planet, and like, look at this rock. Is this even a rock? You know, like. Mm. Everything becomes so fascinating and so not innocent, but curious. And I love that about Eli. How was it filming in White Sands, New Mexico? Oh, it was great. It was great. And the military was really welcoming and cool um, to shoot there. And 
I, I mean, that was a lot of fun. It definitely helps, I think, you know, the sets included uh, here. When you can have an immersive environment um, as an actor, it just makes your job a little bit easier and a little mm-hmm. bit easier to, to, to drop into those roles. Mm-hmm. So when you're actually surrounded by white sands and it's, <laughs> I don't know how to describe to you, it's miserably hot mm-hmm. and sand's blowing in your face and you're getting actually sunburned, um, it's a little bit easier to drop into those roles. But uh, yes. For me, it was more fun. I mean, I rode in a helicopter, and I never in a million years thought I would have that experience. Um, mm. You know, I got to to climb on dunes. Like, that's just, that's cool. I mean, I, I was pretending I was Muad'Dib from Dune. <laughs> like, you wouldn't believe. The spice must flow. <laughs> no one got that reference. No, I was, like, walking around the dunes going, Muad'Dib, Muad'Dib, Muad'Dib. <laughs> I don't have any clue. Oh, man. You know, the, one of the things that I'm looking forward to about the about the show, it's really, it's hinted at in the first two hours with, with Dr. Lee in one scene, uh, is the Quantum Leap angle. Quantum Leap was mm-hmm. one of my favorite shows. And this, oh, me too. This body swapping really looks like it's going to work in this show. Oh, I can't tell you how many times that I've been trying to get them to have somebody say, oh, boy, when they, when they body swap. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it. I, I absolutely love it. Uh, I was a huge Quantum Leap fan. I was... I was sick, and I was in the hospital during the series finale of it. And oh, I made my mother man, tape it finale. and put it on VHS. Holy cow. <laughs> man, what an end. Oh, yeah. Although it, in Florida, it got interrupted by the, a news report. I was like, are you kidding me? Last 10 minutes of the favorite show on TV, right? That was like one of my favorite shows ever. Screw them. Jeez. Oh, I love that show. And you love your castmates. I mean, I've seen pictures. You guys go on retreats all the time. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah, we, we get along great, um, you know, uh, whether it be rock band when we're just being silly or <laughs> we went and saw uh, one of our castmates, Haig and Richard II. Uh, you know, we're, we're very supportive cast, and even more than that, we've become a really close family of, you know, checking in, are you okay? Do you want to go get dinner and talk? Do you want to go see a movie? You know, on set, we're just constantly being silly, joking around. You know, Brian had an audition for a movie today, and I was like, you want, do you need a reader? You know, like, we're, yeah. Yeah. we're there for each other, and that makes the show, I think that shows us our chemistry and how close we are. Mm-hmm. You know, you look at all these genre shows like Lost, you know, and I'm already, we're already placing bets as to who's going to be the obligatory death in season one, you know, so I hope that, I hope that SGU manages to, to break the mold and, and uh, continue to, continue to perform well because it's a great pilot that's been set up. Yeah, me too. And uh, hey, you think uh, you're the only one doing that? Every time we read a script, I think that's half the reason that we read it as quickly as we do because we want to make sure, sure that we're you don't still die. alive. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, "Are you going to be in LA in November?" I'm like, "I hope not." <laughs> well, you know, the fact of the matter is, death equals jeopardy on these kinds yeah. of shows. And every once in a while, someone must die. That's how yeah. you don't start it and say, "Well, they're going to make it this time." Oh, Shepard's going to make it out. Oh, Ronan's going to make it out. And even more so, well, especially with an ensemble cast, but even more so, it's real life. You know, a friend of mine's uh, father died, and I was just, you know, it got me thinking about, you know, my family yeah. and how horrible that would be. And yeah. and that's what life is, and that's how life should be when you watch it on screen yeah. if you really want to connect to it. Yeah, you finished. You you have just a few episodes left to film. You guys wrap in October. Mm-hmm. You've you've experienced most of this first season. Uh, mm-hmm. What reasons do fans have to tune in past the pilot? Uh, I know this is going to sound like I'm involved with the show, so them you know they have a gun to my head and they're telling me to say this. Uh, the truth is, it gets better. Uh, it, it starts off great and it only gets better. Um, I really feel like. The show is very interesting and great and, and draws you in from the beginning. And about, you know, around episode eight, nine, it becomes 
amazing. I mean, it's it's so good to begin with. I'm not saying that we start off bad and get better. I mean, it literally picks up and gets to be so something that you don't want to wait a week to watch again. And I know from experience from reading the last few scripts that I was literally reading on my computer and I was angry that there weren't more pages to the script. <laughs> what was your favorite script this year? Uh, that's hard because for different reasons. But I, oh, I do have to say that I'm angry that I have to wait until March to read any more scripts because I want to know what the hell happens. Uh, <laughs> At the end, yeah. Um, I loved Time. I loved Human. Um, and, you know, honestly, each one had their own thing, whether it be a touching moment or an interesting moment or an action moment. They, they all drew me in for different reasons. Well, dude, you know, this is, um, this is quite a journey. And as a Stargate fan on this show, did you ever think that you'd be doing this? Uh, no. You know, but I've, it's, it's kind of weird. Call it kismet. Call it coincidence. Call it whatever you want in your life. I keep having these weird experiences. I remember watching um, something of SG-1 on a repeat and going, you know, I wonder if I'm ever going to work with those people. And the next thing you know, I get a call about, uh, about SGU. Like, I keep having these weird things happen where, like, I'll, I'll find somebody that I really want to work with. The next thing you know, I'm working with them. Mm. You know, and it's, it's kind of cool. It, it's, you know, in a way, as much as I love the show and as much as the scripts are great and as much as it's just good work and a good show and good people, the truth is, in a way, I kind of feel like my life's been pushing me towards this point. Mm. <laughs> uh, and I'm, I'm ecstatic to see to see the audience reaction. I mean, I, I find it hard to believe, and I'm, I'm, I hate to say this because I don't want to jinx it, but I find it harder to believe that anybody who actually watches the show isn't going to like it, whether they were a Stargate fan before who I think will, will love it or who's never seen it before, who I think will just get sucked into the world. And to be a part of that, it's just better than I could ever hope for at this point in my career. 